there was a man who came up to one of the comrades and uh, he, he was a little bit wild-eyed and I think he was a little bit drunk. Um, and this is before Obama, right? This is before people were like, socialist? Isn't that what the president is? So this was like, this is in the Bush era. So this guy walks up to one of the comrades and just starts yelling, burn in hell, communists! Communists cut my brother's dick off in Korea! Well, so great, like I'm standing there thinking like, all right, how do I disengage from this uh, obviously unhinged person without like stoking things up and putting people in danger and I'm about to say something I'm about to say something like well look I don't know if that's really eh, I don't know exactly but I'm trying to be reasonable and uh, another comrade um, without skipping a beat he just turns and goes well you probably deserved it man hello and welcome to the regrettable century I'm Chris. I'm Kevin. I'm Jason. And I'm Jenny. Yes, we have added Jenny to the podcast family. Is coming to us from South Texas. Orale! <laughs> one of the criticisms that we've received recently is that no one actually knows anything about us if they don't already know us. So that uh, maybe we should include a little short bio about each of us. And... Uh, you know, try to convince people why they should actually listen to and care what we have to say. So, so my name's Jenny. I have been calling myself a Marxist since before. I really was one in a real way that mattered. Um, but since being a Marxist in ways that matter, uh, I have joined the DSA and I have done workers' defense and been a member of the Corpus Christi Solidarity Network doing um, immigrant rights work and, uh, you know, fighting for things like abortion and other things that I think are really cool, like abortion. Uh, I live in South Texas, and I love South Texas, and I love my people, and, you know, I love socialism, and I'm here to, like, do it in real ways. So, my name is Jason, uh, and I'm also from South Texas. My trajectory on the left began when I was a teenager, and I became a communist through combination of influences from my older brother to punk rock to Tariq Ali. So uh, at some point later in life, I got serious about being, uh, you know, like trying to organize the working class and passed through um, a long period of Trotskyism and came out the other side certain that everybody has it a little bit wrong and joined the DSA (laughs) where everybody has it a lot wrong. Right, like like-minded individuals. Everyone's wrong. No one knows what the hell they're doing. So you know, it's a good place to but be. But exactly. more people are honest about it. Yeah, right. and that's the that's the important distinction here is that I have finally found a collection of comrades who know that they don't know anything. <laughs> so I'm Chris, and uh, I am Jason's brother. So we've got a very similar backstory. Uh, I joined the Communist Party whenever I was 18 years old, and. Uh, you know, didn't actually ever pay dues, didn't actually ever do anything except for, like, hand out the tons of free literature that they sent me. Like, thousands of dollars worth of literature was sent to me by the Communist Party. I don't know if it was an accident or not, but I handed it out to all my friends. That was the extent of my uh, engagement with Marxism as as a teenager. Uh, and I went through the same filter of, uh, I guess, I guess, something like a 12, 13-year-long engagement with Trotskyism. And came out the other side completely burned out and demoralized and assuming that there's nothing that could be done and we're all doomed. And I still kind of feel like that. It's but, mostly um, true still. Yeah, but I also joined the DSA. But I just have a hard time mustering the um, fucking momentum to do anything politically other than just sit around and talk. But anyway, so yeah, here I am. Uh, hoping that maybe... I'm wrong and uh, we're not all doomed and that we might be able to change the world before the world ends. Hey, we're all wrong, buddy. So I, um, this is Kevin. Uh, I was, when I was younger, I like watched uh, a lot of democracy now on the internet and uh, I read Howard Zinn and Noam Chomsky and I got real angry. Um, And then I went off to college and I joined the socialist group that the the two of y'all, Jason and Chris, started uh excuse me uh at, in denton yeah jenny started it too. in denton yes jen i was not I... there at the same i was not there at the same time as jenny so jenny peaced out before it got cool it never got cool <laughs> <laughs> but i uh 
but you know, like I so I showed up on campus looking for the socialist organization to get involved with, and that group was the most serious one um, around. That wasn't just like some uh, slackers sitting around and telling each other how cool their ideas were. So that's why I uh, I joined up and I read a bunch of shit that Marx wrote and other people wrote. But then I got really tired of uh, uh, being. Um, in what I felt was a, a never-ending study group, especially since it seemed to be reading a lot of the same uh, material over and over again. Um, and I was wishing that there were something like a big tent socialist organization that I connect, could connect with. Um, I uh, moved to Portland, Oregon, went to law school. Uh, I then found that Jacobin Magazine was going on, so I started, uh, started running a Jacobin Magazine group in uh, this area, uh, DSA blew up, and I discovered that it wasn't just like the left wing of the Democratic Party, which is what I thought it was up to that point. And uh, well, it was up to that point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, when yeah. it blew up, I discovered that it wasn't anymore. Um, yeah. Um, and so it seemed like exactly what I had been wishing existed. So I I joined up, and uh, it seems like it's the home of the closest thing to hope that exists in the world today. I don't know about the world, but at least in the United States. Yeah, well, damn. Yeah, in my world. So while we were all in Denton together, I was going to college where I did a degree in European history, and uh, then went to grad school for European history and dropped out because I couldn't afford it. Um, and so now I just don't do anything that has anything to do with my degree. But I know a lot of history. <laughs> I teach children how to moonwalk. That is way the fuck cooler than anything I could ever um, say about myself. I am a dance yeah. teacher. I just feel like I should add that in because you guys all said more words than I did. This week, we are diving into a subject that is a lot less abstract than the things we were talking about before. And that is the concept of base building. And it is, much to my chagrin, unfortunately not about building really cool bases. <laughs> you got to put a Tesla coils in every corner. <laughs> <laughs> what is base building? Okay, it's a buzzword. It's a real big buzzword, especially in the DSA. And um, if you step outside of the DSA and you say base building, uh, you will either get blank looks or flogged with a copy of you know Lenin State and Revolution I believe it's called Socialist Appeal <laughs> <laughs> Jason you were excited about bringing this topic forward and talking about it why don't you give us a little breakdown of what base building actually is um, yeah sure so base building is as Chris as you said the a term that is kind of a buzzword and can be found in the pages of Jacobin magazine. It's um, it's kind of hotly debated uh, inside DSA, but also not, also outside DSA, um, uh, more and more across the American socialist left. And um, people have uh, kind of latched onto the term because it sounds, uh, in the basic definition of what base building is, it sounds like something that we're all for, which is to sink. Uh, organizational roots in the struggles of the working class or uh, I've heard it described as cultivating a constituency and in theory that's something that we're all for and in theory that's something that we all do and that's the sort of the, the reason why we're all socialists but the reason why uh, we wanted to talk about it today in this um, in this episode is to break down what we mean by it and also um, why there's a debate about whether or not it, it's a like a viable approach to building the left. Right, which mo mostly centers around uh, explicating, I think, uh, what we don't mean by it. So yes. I think that everyone's introductions actually kind of got to the heart in inadvertently. We didn't plan that. Um, of why base building is important and why we're having this conversation and why so many of us have kind of left... Um, not abandoned, but shifted our focus in terms of organizing um, and participating in, you know, socialism and building it from below in the United States. 
which is that, like, to me at least, I think there are people who have really good ideas and are not actually grappling with the practical application of those ideas. And I feel like base building is helping us get much closer to that. And um, I think a lot of that means organizing alongside people who don't have the exact same ideas as we do. But I think the process of like base building is getting us closer to being more right. So when we all joke about how the DSA is very wrong and all of that, um, I still think that at this particular moment, it holds the most hope in getting us closer to being right because there's at least this discussion of what base building is and how to build better strategies and tactics. Um, I think that's what's most interesting to me. That was sort of a vague outline of what base building was. It's just sinking roots in constituencies and organizing alongside of uh, working class people in order to sort of get at what it is that we would like to do in the future. Um, I think it, it has sort of been taken for granted that the purpose of socialist organizing is to work with working class people, right? Like it's the marriage of socialism and the working class movement. Um, that, that contains within it whatever possibilities still might exist on the planet for a, a better world. Um, the reason why I think we should talk about what base building is in a little bit more depth is that uh, it was once, you know, used to be able to take for granted that there was a working class movement that had some connection to socialism. Um, all throughout the last century, you know, like the the old Socialist Party and the Communist Party and even a lot of the New Left had its origins in the organizations of the working class. And uh, we find ourselves at a point in history which is um, not only horrifying because of climate change and post-fascism and whatever else, but also because it's the first time where we have a, an upsurge in socialist sort of thought without a corresponding rise in, in its connection to the working class uh, organized as such. Base building then is a term for basically remarrying the working class movement to the socialist uh, project. Right. And it is sort of a unique problem that we don't have much precedent for dealing with at this point, um, which is why it's so frustrating to see all the criticisms of base building just being tired, trotted out old. Trotted. I didn't mean that's pun not intended. Uh, um, uh, criticisms such as what I've read recently is that oh this is just Narodism. You know this is just the the same thing that the the Narodniks in Russia were trying to do by going back to the people and what that led to was terrorism. Which I don't know. That's yeah. I it's mean, a fuck of a leap. They did they did want to go to the people, but. The, but I think that the people they were talking about were um, illiterate Russian peasants and not, like, workers in, you know, urban centers in the United States. Well, well right. I, I mean, which I think – so that, that's been some pushback that I've received in, in, like, actual organizing, right, is allusions to attempts by Maoists in the 70s and uh, 60s to do what they called at the time base building. And that sent- well, I mean, that's at least a little bit closer. Sure, yeah, it is. A, it is as far as the criticism is concerned. It is, but it centered around centered around uh, prioritizing building a base of, I, I you know, I guess what you would call a lumpen proletariat uh, um, and super exploited peoples, um, right. and specifically looking to the peasantry. Yeah, so when you're in the first world, you don't have any peasants that are hyper exploited. You cast around for the closest thing and you just oh homeless let's arm the homeless yeah Yeah. you remember that slogan i also think that there's a lot of the criticisms are a really lazy attempt to conflate base building with like prefigurative politics um and i think a lot of that is just rehearsing the same talking points of like well that's you know we don't have the resources to do that you can't just like create this world in capitalism Honestly, that's a fair point, though, the, the point about resources. No, sure. the point about resources is fair, 
Um, but but it is also it would be more fair if these same folks weren't exhausting themselves putting all of their resources into tactics and strategies that are are not as effective like planning these enormous rallies sell, selling newspapers uh, or a number of other things right it's like you're you're using the same resources week. and energy it would take to like I don't know fight wage theft I don't know do right. like queer self defense courses and other things that are are being pointed to by folks who are t- actually having these conversations about base building it's like that would be a fair point if it took extra resources and not just like realigning ourselves a little bit and looking at you know the energy we're already expending and how we can be more effective um well, i don't feel like right, there's yeah, been exactly. an honest enough attempt to to examine our own strategies at this point so what stands out to me in this is that base building isn't really a new strategy sure. at all and it is essentially just what all the old great socialist mm-hmm. parties say like the second international socialist parties used to do in addition to parliamentary politics and whatever else it was base building was something that rank and file socialist party members did and in all of the the great social social democratic parties of the 19th and 20th centuries and of course, they had much bigger pools of resources to draw. But from. But, I, but I think that maybe even you could say that maybe they didn't even have to worry about base building. There was a a, a rising, vibrant and powerful labor movement that existed in the all of the world that capitalism touched. That was independent of any self consciously Marxist or socialist organizing that anybody was doing and that you just sort of like show up and the base building is there it's happening and the thing that needs to be added to that equation is is some clarity of thought some like sitting down and like hold on guys let's think about what's the ambitions of uh you know what what is the trajectory of, of this this work that everybody is doing let's sit down and like debate through ideas that was the sort of that was the the corrective that needed to be brought to the picture but i i that's not the world that we're engaging with now the uh, sure. no, outside right. of uh organized socialists who are who recognize that their you know class matters right like uh, the, that's not happening the the political practice that we've inherited is it's left over from a time when there was um a still a vibrant mass working class movement and there were mass workers parties and the and the struggles between different political tendencies on the left were struggles for leadership over those parties so that you know you have like um the official social democratic and official communist parties and uh then you have the sort of dissident groups like Maoists and Trotskyists kind of vying for leadership over various groups and so they developed a whole kind of practice around propagandizing the proper program and recruiting people to a set of ideas because their audience was actually existing organized workers in parties or at least in you know formations for their the combat and advance of their interests um so i think it was it's it's right to point out that this is nothing new base building is not a new idea it's about recognizing that there is no longer um, and a pre-existing constituency over which to vie for leadership, which means that the methodology exactly. well, of Trotskyists and Maoists trying to take control or or win hegemony in the workers' movement is it's based on a on a, on a no longer uh, existing phenomenon. Right. Well, the, 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 the cord has been me, sh- shredded. Yeah. The interesting thing to me too is that so many of the people who are presenting base building as either something new or like trendy um, or like calling it a buzzword are people who also romanticize I feel like a lot of what I would consider base building historically or people who you know or like parties or movements or things historically that I think can easily be categorized as base building you know Um, so when you look at the Black Panther Party um and, you know, we always want to focus, you know, on the Black Panthers. And it's like, do you not think that um, the literacy program or that the breakfast program <laughs> are base building? Um, 
I don't know. Right. Well, right. like, let's right. just think about the, some of the articles that we read to sort of prepare ourselves for this discussion. Sure. Um, the one from Marxist.com. Uh, what was it called? Bolshevism or base building? Yeah, it was, it was, it was base building versus Bolshevism. Like, that's the dichotomy, right? And they told a story of how the Bolsheviks became, like, uh, the leading party, the leading voice of the working class in the Russian Revolution. And, uh, and, it's, and it's a mythologized version of history, which is basically that, like... They were patient. Say that again? And they trusted the... They were patient and they trusted the workers. Twelve years later, they were... Right, out. exactly. <laughs> yeah. they, they, and and this, is, this is not un, a unique kind of way of thinking about both history and, and political practice to the, the people in the international Marxist tendency. It's, a, it's the majority of what exists as the revolutionary left is they have this notion conscious or otherwise that the that the way that sort of the great events in the last century happened and the way that they will again is that you you sort of like propagandize the vision to the whole society and then they rise like you know like like yeast and in fact it's much more um complicated and interesting than that like i think anybody who's a student of, of even just the amateur student of history um that every let's say every trotskyist uh, purports to be anyways would know that the Bolsheviks' base was in the Viborg uh, factory district in Petrograd and in Kronstadt. And the way that they did that was by making a deliberate calculations about where their party activists would go and, like, sink the roots of the party in terms of their study circles, the propaganda leagues, the kind of work that they did. Um, the term base building might come out of Maoism and taking inspiration from, like, liberated zones in, in the Chinese Civil War or whatever. But, like... Everywhere where there's ever been like a, a major working class upsurge, where there has been like effective leadership, there's been some sort of like primary constituency that backs that organization. Um, that Marxist.com article got it entirely wrong. Wait, so you're telling me that if when I go downtown and read State and Revolution into a megaphone, I'm not preparing <laughs> the revolution? Well, I mean, to be uh, to be very charitable to a comrade from the uh, IMT, he well, someone said to me recently, "We need not be building a base; we need to be preparing for power, because we already have kind of the vision and the program. We merely need to like win people to it." I mean, the easy retort, the less charitable retort, is to say, "Like, why? Why hasn't that worked yet? Like, we we put ourselves at the head of every kind of like." social upsurge of atomized you know working people but not constituted as such right so like think about occupy wall street or think about um slut walk or the anti-war movement or black lives matter or um any number of like great upsurges of things uh of, of sort of social turmoil and in every case there has been the sort of nominally clear eyed socialist left with the vision for what to do um, and so, it, you know, in the sense that you can, like, lead the major protest, you can be at the vanguard of the atomized mass. The question has to come back to, like, where are your roots? The Communist Party was rooted in the CIO and the steel drives and in the anti-segregation uh, movement. The old Socialist Party was rooted in the timber fields and the mine workers unions, whatever. Like, they had a base. They had a primary constituency. And then around that, there were successive layers of the rest of the class that kind of grew and shrank with like the you know the terrain of struggle or whatever so the debate about base building is like where, how do you reassert or how do you sorry how do you reinsert socialist ideas into a primary constituency like a particular sector that will like anchor your organization in reality um and i think that that's what's terrifying for people is that we're talking about reality again and not just the way we imagine things might sure. be if we just be- say things good enough because reality has stakes you can lose in reality you can be proven wrong and reality, in reality. is reality is fucking terrifying it, particularly right but now re- it is. but reality also means like fighting winnable fights and i think that's the biggest thing about base building that people who have spent so much time and have all of this vocabulary to talk about like lived experiences and having like a living breathing you know ideology and framework and method for like 
examining and assessing the world or whatever. For people who have all of this taught are not actually grappling with the practical application of any of those ideas. And I feel like base building actually gives us an opportunity to put so much of what we've talked about and studied forever and ever over and over a fucking again, you know, in those ideas into practice. And it's, it's like very much put up or shut up time. I feel like for a lot of us, I mean, for me, like as a brown woman who is queer enough to be hate crimed against um, in South Texas, like it's that time, you know, and if you're still, you know, just having these conversations and not actually doing things and engaging in winnable fights, um, you're just exhausting yourself at this point. And okay, so my experience in socialist organizing between 2000 and 2015 was constantly throwing myself headlong every single week into some sort of event. You know, yeah, there was a lot of sitting around reading and talking, but every weekend I was banging my head up against a wall, you know, seeing everything I was protesting against happen. So um, is the argument for base building that we should not engage in these protests against things that we can't change anyway and that we should only engage in, say, you know, struggles on a more microcosmic level? Yes. Mm. I think, I think. No, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. I don't think well, we I don't, can. You know, I, I, I don't think we have the resources to do both things. Well, so that's the thing. Nothing exists exists in a vacuum. So if I take like what's what like Corpus is an example, right? We had this huge water crisis in which you know we couldn't even touch our water. The refineries r- routinely like fuck up our water supply, right? Um. Luckily, we were able to mobilize people and get water to people who were homebound, get water to people who, like, did not have vehicles or did not know that there were water distribution centers and things like that. Um, And we were also able to mobilize a lot of those people to go fuck up city council's entire shit until they fixed the water. And we have not had a water crisis since. This is also happening in the midst of something much larger, right? So Standing Rock, Flint. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're able to connect this struggle to larger ones and relate it to like what environmental racism is. um, And then obviously, you know, what it means to have like completely unchecked industries in Corpus Christi. Right. And that actually is is a lot of what is pushing forward two of our DSA candidates for city council right now in South Texas who made it to the runoff elections in December. You know, so you know, you're able to connect the things that you're doing locally to, I mean, again, you know, nothing exists in a vacuum. <laughs> I want to hear Kevin's, Kevin's, uh, no before I, I weigh <laughs> yeah. in on, on, on yeah. what I think. <laughs> well, I, you know, okay. So like, I think mobilizing, uh, mo- mobilizing your constituency is when, is, uh, an exertion of power. Organizing a, a constituency is building power. And I think that you, you you can you can make a sort of analytical distinction between the two. In in practice, exactly as you're saying, Jenny, I think you the reality of the world is everything's intertwined, and you know any uh, mobilization builds organizing capacity, and every uh, a, a successful organizing builds mobilization capacity. The two aren't uh, right. independent from each other. But that said, you know I live in a place where uh, where mobilization is sort of taken as a, a thing that is removed from the notion of organizing where uh, where where showing up and waving signs around in a small group of people is taken as i don't know as a, a this noble good unto itself that anybody who's serious and radical uh, should aspire toward, uh, and if you're really serious and radical, then you should go fight a cop. Right. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that that is like as, you know, like whatever, fine, like enjoy yourself, but like what, you know, what are you doing? What is this doing? What is this? How is this impacting the world in any way whatsoever? Are you just patting yourself on the back and feeling good because you're so fucking radical, or are you actually? having some sort of engagement in the with the world as it exists and trying to 
change it, trying to move the world that ex- th- that exists. That was sort of my point previously, was that I, I feel like yeah. that's what the four of us were engaged on upon over the past decade, was that sort of activism, which is just protest for the sake of protest because it's a demonstration of our outrage and that if we're not demonstrating our outrage then we're not good socialists yeah what was it that sophia burns referred to that as yeah just about to ask uh, that rev left radio podcast so kevin what you're talking about or jenny what you refer to as the sort of venn diagram between the first two it's the protest militants and the uh, and the expressive <laughs> hobbyist. <laughs> it is. It really is. And it's it's a little painful because that's the that's my um, my the majority of my time on the left was. Listen, uh, there spent... wasn't really a way for us to be anything else during the Bush era right. and of early course, Obama era. Yeah, yeah I agree entirely. Actually, it would have been very that... difficult. <laughs> and being student radicals too. No, honestly. of course. Exactly. In that same interview, uh, Tim Horace from the Philly Socialist said like you know to give credit where it's due like you know in the wake of the sort of the collapse of the previous generation's social movements and uh, the the crack up of like the warsaw pact and the sort of the decline of the dream right and the neoliberal assault on labor it was all anybody could do to hold it together um it's not that the comrades in the 80s and 90s were expressive hobbyists is that the comrades who are still conducting themselves in that manner sure. are right. the expressive hobbyists, right? And so the question was, um, do we have the, 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 the resources or whatever to do both to build the mass mobilizations um, and the street demos and what is the exclusive purview of the uh, expressive hobbyists and protest militants? Or instead, does uh, is... is the necessity of turning our sights to slightly less um, exciting uh, work, which is sometimes more like trying to build a tenants union, which means like winning people their ex- their last month's rent back whenever they've been evicted because there are no protections against eviction. Right? It do- it's not splashy. It doesn't it doesn't tell a story that you can really um, that that many people are going to publish in their journals or whatever. And yet that's that kind of base building work we're talking about. But the demos and rallies come like arise organically out of out of that work or they don't. And then it's fine. Right. That's and we have that's to be difference. OK with that. That's that's the point that I'm trying to make. Yeah. It's not that I just we wanted have to, to make do... it for you. Yes. <laughs> the, the point is that um, political work, which is oriented to the creation of mass rallies, is getting it backward. But that it doesn't mean don't do mass rallies, right? It's that, um, Kevin, you put it pretty well, that there is a difference between building power and then putting that power on display or leveraging power. Yeah, it's like going to the gym and lifting weights versus like going and, you know, uh, (laughs) sure. Like uh, being like, strong in the real world and like needing strength. I like you know? how like, you it's, couldn't it's think of things. an instance where you would need anything that you. <laughs> so you just said being strong in the real world. It's because it's because going to the gym it isn't about anything except for having cool muscles. Going well, yeah. to the gym is expressive <laughs> hobbyism. Okay, so the, so, <laughs> so if we think of like a something that is not abstract right um (laughs) um right so if we talk about like fighting wage theft for instance like a lot of people do not want to like meet with workers who have you know not been given their wages and they don't want to write like demand letters and they don't want to you know like do the nitty-gritty stuff but if we say these workers weren't paid come show up and tell their bosses fuck you people will People yeah. like doing that sort of stuff. It feels good, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like yeah. there are instances in, we, in which we get to flex, you know? But we still have to be doing the other work in between. And that's well, our jobs as people who take ourselves seriously, so having, hopefully. Who knows? Having organized <laughs> with uh, workers, striking workers and workers who were uh, deprived of their wages and stuff in the past, one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of workers are decidedly not woke. That's true. <laughs> so, I mean, if if you can't talk to a worker who's going to use some problematic language every once in a while, 
then you know maybe you should just show up to the protest. Well, and honestly, more than uh, just uses problematic language, has some really fucking backwards ideas. Yeah, every about once in a while, that's true. And how yeah. shit works. Every once in a while, yeah, right. Uh, well, I think a little like, more often than every once in a while. Well, I don't know what kind of workers you hang out with, Kevin. <laughs> when you participate in the uh, AFL CIO's organizing institute, they um, one of the one of the things that you do is you go through a. Um, Why did exercises. you do that or something? <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact, I did. Um, one of one of the exercises that they put the uh, all of the sort of, I guess you call them students, all the participants in the organizing institute's uh, program. Is they'll uh, they'll they hand out these packets that sort of describe um, kind of an imaginary workplace situation where you're trying to put together your organizing team, um, and they kind of give these profiles of different people, and uh, you know you have to basically pick like the the I forget the number three or five out of the the slightly larger set that's really these are going to be the people that you kind of rely on and you try to recruit and try to bring into the inner circle to build your first organizing core. And they're very clever about doing it where they, they always write in a problem for each person so that they put you as an organizer in the mentality of having to decide how to deal with this person's particular issue if you've determined that they're going to be uh, an asset, building a core, uh, building a team that's going to help organize the whole workplace. That means you have to not just make nece- not necessarily make uh, compromises or whatever, but you have to start to think through like how do I reach this person as opposed to that person whatever and it's really very different than we're going to have a protest for Palestine you should come to Palestine to the Palestine protest and if you don't support it then you're a fucking Zionist and that's it's a little yeah. glib but that's the, I mean you know I'm, no that's being, that that illustrates exactly what we were talking about uh, two episodes ago when we were discussing exiting the vampire's castle where we, uh, I guess Kevin mentioned that when we were organizing in college and uh, around campuses and whatnot, we were like, okay, well, this is what we're organizing about. And uh, you know what? You kind of annoy me. Fuck you. Uh, I'm not going to do things with you anymore. Yeah. Where the, sta- yeah. the stakes now are higher. If you're organizing within the community, you have to be able to take someone who's important to the community, who's important, doing important work within the community and uh, deal with their shitty attitudes and some of their shitty ideas because they're an integral part of the collective. Anyway, I feel like that gets, or at least gets to what Sophia Burns was alluding to when she talked about how certain types of Christians, like, might, distinguish themselves from one another but you know no one else really does um yeah yeah you know so but i will i will say that that with the caveat that like you can't say that methodists for instance don't try to distance themselves for like from like the westboro baptist church um so (laughs) you know there there are notable differences right that's like the socialist alternative distances themselves from that weird cult in england that had like six members yeah (laughs) but we have to figure out better ways to to not make such a big deal about the differences in a time like this you know well i mean i guess this is sort of a, a sort of a side note but i actually think that those differences are uh minuscule and ever mm-hmm. more so like the least interesting conversation you can have with a person who you're organizing with is like are you a maoist or a trotskyist or are, are you a, <laughs> yeah are you a left com or whatever it's like no the question is like do you support this particular proposal and do you have a way of helping make it actual honestly um, yeah. like thinking that these designations over questions about the the class nature of the of the soviet union or uh, thinking that those matter is incredibly arrogant you have no clue how insignificant you are do you you know <laughs> right well the all throughout the um the the set of readings that we curated for this conversation um most of most of them are like documents that have come out of the marxist center network they they repeatedly come back to that question that like it's a fairly insignificant uh thing whether you not you hail from a 20th century left-wing tradition in terms it basically gives you your lexicon right? it it's where you say instead of saying mass line you might say you might have a different word for the same thing right 
but functionally there's no there's no difference and in fact there are people of every stripe on both sides of this question of whether or not you you know you have this performative expressive hobbyist politics or if you have this like sink roots in the class battles and the day-to-day -day hard work uh base building politics um that the official distinctions of your like favored tradition that you know the texts that made you a socialist uh is actually fairly irrelevant uh at this stage in in they really yeah. only matter insofar as they impact our ability to, like, organize and build effectively. You know, like, Tanky's talking about, you know, insurrection or something in the middle of a, like, meeting about organizing something that is not an insurrection, right? <laughs> um, so, Don't yeah. you hate it whenever <laughs> you're trying to organize, like, around wage theft and Tanky's are talking about how they need, we need to take three of the members out in the back and shoot them? And... Yeah. like if we're doing clinic defense and they like you know show up with actual tanks i, don't know. <laughs> I hate when that happens it's but the what? worst man once again but... weird flex but yeah it's like look that, that's actually a pretty cool a... flex actually there wouldn't be evictions if bashar al-assad was president <laughs> yeah there would be so, actually there would be outside of you know, those differences ability to impact our effectiveness. I'm I'm almost willing to just render them all completely irrelevant at this point. Like, are you down? Then let's like get right. down. So are you telling me that I need to stop showing up to protests with a bandana and a round bomb with the fuse like all the time? <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, or, or, or a regular, a, a, a regular attendee of Portland protests. Uh, a, a, a dude who always wears like a ski mask and a, a USSR uh, flag as a cape uh, around his neck. Holy shit! Wow. No, we should be doing more of that. I think that's <laughs> if we all did that, then it wouldn't be weird anymore, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I exactly. don't want to be in your band anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think uh, the. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything to identify as a Maoist or a Trotskyist. Listen, I live in like, Texas. Like, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything at all. It's it's purely a matter of like what particular symbolism speaks to you most when you're, um, you know, like the more it matters that you are understood and identified as as being of a particular tradition, the less it matters what what you're actually doing. It's 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 LARPing. Like if you, yeah. if I need you to think of me as a Trotskyist or a Maoist, yeah. then it's like, I have a stake in your perception of of my of my mm -hmm. of my image. It's like Matt Christmas said just recently. Really, the only thing that your political designations influence are your meme choices and posting style. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. That's yeah. what I was well, trying to say. Yeah. Well, well, maybe. Well, maybe we've like reached a, a a point. Yeah. Right. Where genealogies have overtaken actual content, where the history of a particular set of ideas has uh, sort of taken the place of the importance uh, or the impact or the effect of those ideas on the world uh, as it exists. And that's the point to push uh, to, um, you know, uh, that that I, I think it, we're we're trying to make here. But I also want to say that there's a limit to that. Uh, that um, just do the work has very as as much limitation as you know, only unify with people who are in you know you're, who have split from the same split from the same split of the same split from the socialist workers party that you're in. Uh, and yeah. and I can I can put teeth on that. Like when there's a question of should we organize with question that has been practically put forward to uh, organizing work that I'm involved with, which is should we organize active duty police officers uh, in our work or not? And a lot of uh, regular no. working. No. <laughs> uh, th thank you for the very uh, clear <laughs> clarity of revolutionary thought that you have, comrades. I feel I feel like there is a high level of clarity of revolutionary thought on this podcast, but a, a large number of people who show up for work and have never read Marx in their life would be baffled at what the fuck you're. Why? Why? Why are you saying that? Right. Why are we not organizing with cops? Right, so I do think we have to be really clear about what we um, 
what we mean here because I, I don't think that just doing the work is the, is quite the right approach um, because I think we have to have we have to have crystal clear um, vision for what the work is and and where it's going so like when I say that those sort of imaginary ideological uh, when I when I say that those ideological distinctions are, are mostly imaginary um, in terms of political traditions what I mean is that in as much as we think that the work is actually bringing the organization into the organic battles of the class, no matter how small scale they may be, and no matter how sm- how low their ambitions may be, and that the purpose of organization is to raise working class subjectivity to, you know, build power, as we say in DSA. Uh, and by that, I mean, like, take steps down the road toward taking power itself then the distinctions don't matter whether you consider yourself a Maoist or a Trotskyist or have in the past if your politics are that and if they can be synthesized programmatically and practically then it doesn't matter but otherwise the 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 do the work TM inside of DSA of just like we all need to just get together and like make stuff happen like that's a that's a non-workable formula it's a yeah. that's a recipe for disaster yeah the you would say that do matter you would say that revisionist I would say that, but like, what, what, what did Althusser say about ideology? Is it's the uh, imaginary relationship between humans and their real conditions, or something like that? And that's what I think about when I think of someone saying like, "Oh, I'm a Trotskyist." I'm like, okay, so what, what are what are you imagining is happening right now? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that's good. All of that being said, I'm going to continue to be the wet blanket in the space building conversation. And uh, pose this question. So base building to me sounds like a wonderful plan for us to develop over the next generation or so. But it's sort of a long game and we're really in a short game scenario right now. Do we have the time to engage in this pre-pre-party building building project? So... So we are, yes, uh, I mean, or no, uh, yes, we are. No, we don't have the time. Yes, uh, and yeah. no. and maybe. Well, no, we Listen, don't have the time. To yes, be we are at the end of the road. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, I no, think I mean, we d- no, I don't think we do have the time for a slow-burning uh, project that is creating the foundations that will make the conditions possible to create the foundations of a party that will be potentially able to do something maybe eventually in 40 years from now. I don't think that we do have the ability to do that or the the space or the time uh, to, to play that out. What's the alternative? Yeah. I mean, I, is I, what I want to know. I recognize that we have really no other alternative, but well, I, I mean, just... I think there is an alternative. The alternative is join Deep Green Resistance, uh, or maybe make a make a make a make a well make make a a non anti trans alternative to Deep Green Resistance. I think is doing a devil's advocate. See, no, I mean no, this, I this think... is this is genu- genuinely what I believe. I think we're too late, um, but yeah. it, I don't think that it means that we shouldn't try. Um, sure, I. I can't allow myself to have hope that has been nothing but devastation for me uh, over the entire political life that I've lived thus far. And uh, I think that this very sober sort of view of what we can accomplish needs to be in our minds as we move forward. I don't think we have any other choice, really. This is what it means to be a radical. This is not – this is what I I think confronts – Anyone who's in the organized left today is uh, a, a reality of a world uh, that is past spiraling out of control. That um, I, I think there's f- too many people, too many people who consider themselves radicals because they're based on the idea that they are willing to advocate or take stake out the most radical position on things or be the most hardline about this, that, or the other thing. But I, I think there's so, there's far too few people on the left who are willing to, to regard radicalism as the thing 
that compels them to take the, the seriousness of the position that we're confronted with right now with the gravity that it it requires, that it necessitates, that to to say that I am willing to dedicate myself to the mundane, boring, shitty work of doing something that could actually have an impact on the world because I realize what a radically fucked situation we're in. We might be able to ease some people's suffering on the way, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. I I feel like, you know, it doesn't give us a blueprint for sure, but, you know, it gives us some sort of keyhole into the potential for building workers' power and building whatever may be our only hope for, you know, saving ourselves. So have we. Or the people who come after us. Have we completely ruled out LARPing 1917 over and over and over again until we have the United Socialist States of America? No, I could like imagine absolutely stick to mechanical replications I, of 1917. There's yeah. so many things that would be so much more fun to LARP than that, though. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Look, on on the subject of, of whether whether we have the time, I think the simple answer is no. But that poses the bigger question, which is what else is left? And I think that's why would the, the, the more complex answer is I think we have to have uh, – we have to start from where we are, which is we have a, an infant and multivalent socialist movement. And it is full of people who want to get um, people elected to city council or whatever and of people who want to organize big protests and of people who um, I think rightly see our last possible chance as a – sinking the majority of our efforts and, you know, organizing what at the moment look like small-scale, um, long-term uh, uh, implantation uh, campaigns or, or base building, whatever. I think that to the extent that we can marry them all together, that we can blend them together, we, um, we are approximating what is looking like a strategy for what little time we have left. Right now, it's all spread apart, and I think... You know, if we can win the argument that uh, Chris, you said it earlier about um, what we need is essentially the old, the old left, the old mass workers parties that are the ones who start the new unions and the yet unorganized sectors. I actually like am not convinced at all, but I I really do think that I don't have a better idea. So that's what I've always done as a socialist is not be convinced, but go along because I don't have a better idea. Yeah.